So really what, what it taught me as an engineer, Danny, is to you know, learn how to make assumptions, learn how to question those assumptions as you solve, as you iterate, as you continue to try to get better. And that's really whenever I look at an investment or talk to an operator or a partner. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Chris Larson. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with Chris, he is the founder of Next Level Income and has been investing and managing real estate for over 20 years. And in 2016, Chris began syndicating deals and has been actively involved in over $1 billion of real estate acquisitions. Chris, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Danny, thanks for having me here. Yeah, pumped to have this conversation. Long waiting to get this thing going, man. Before we dive into all the goods, multifamily, some other stuff, I'd like to kick, off, kick the show off by hearing more about you. So tell us more about your background, your story, and how you got into real estate. Yeah, so I was I was in college. I was actually at Virginia Tech because we were chatting before the show, yeah. studying engineering, and um, that was that was okay. But my passion at the time was racing bicycles, and. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was racing bicycles, mainly road bikes. So mm. I got to train with the likes of people like Lance Armstrong. And, you know, I, I realized wow. a lot during that period, one, um, racing bikes isn't very glamorous. You don't make a lot of money. So I, I always had kind of like some some side hustles, if you will, that we talk about them now going on. I was always entrepreneurial. Um, but I also realized that there was a lot more to life. And as, as I talk about my book, which I'll, I'll be happy to share how your audience can get a free copy here before the end of the show. Um my best friend passed away. And after racing my bike for another year, I said, you know what? This is silly. Like I'm riding my bike around the circle at these races. There's more to life. I don't want to miss any opportunities. And as part of that, you know, one of the realities in the world that, you, that we know, Danny, is that you need money. You need money to take mm. advantage of opportunities that are out there. And I set out to become an investor. I read over 250 books on finance, stock market, different types of investing, real estate, and what I settled on after day trading and doing a bunch of other stuff was was real estate, and bought my first property at 21 years old. You know that was it seems like an eternity ago, uh, <laughs> an eternity ago now is more than half my life ago. And yeah, now we have over 3,000 units, and we've expanded it into uh, self storage, car washes, as we were chatting about, hotels, uh, mobile home parks, and um, it's been it's been a um, a great journey. But um, yeah, I started in W two role and as a passive investor. And now, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm an active investor as well. Yeah. I love to hear it, man. Especially yeah. you guys' growth, right? You really went from that one property, right? And then you expanded into all these asset classes like we were talking about uh, before we hit record here, which is super interesting. And I know we're going to dive into yeah. a little bit of that here a bit later, but I kind of want to go back a little bit. You know, uh, before the show, we talked about our engineer, our you know mutual engineering backgrounds. We both studied engineering. So I always like to talk to people about this subject, right? Especially ones who have transitioned into real estate, right? Because it seems there's quite a few engineers who have transitioned into real estate, sure. or at least people who had that background. So talk to us a little bit yeah. about that. And has that played a role in your were investing and the way you've built your portfolio and how you operate today? Yeah, I think certainly. I mean, I, I learned on, I learned very early on that I didn't want to be an engineer per se, sure. but I went through the classes, I went through the processes and it really, it really builds a certain mentality 
and really certain processes into your psyche, into your brain. You're like hardwired as you, you're not an up mm. and down because you know yeah. you're hardwired. And if you look at kind of the engineering process, the first thing is set your assumptions, then solve, and then you iterate and you continue to try to get better. And that is, that's really kind of at the core of engineering. And the issue is a lot of people, and look, we've seen a ton of this. I mean, you look at COVID and the response to COVID and the issues and the problem with COVID was people made wrong assumptions. They made wrong assumptions. It's And if you don't question the assumptions, then you're going to keep, even if you solve and you're really intelligent, you're going to keep making the same mistake, even if you know, quote unquote, how to solve the problem. And the problem is in government, you have bureaucrats that aren't really they're, they're not incentivized to say, hey, I'm wrong. Let's get better. They're incentivized to say, I'm not wrong. Let me keep my job, yeah. right? Whereas as an engineer or a salesperson or an investor, I spent most of my career in sales um, in addition to being an investor, but you're incentivized to improve. And that's how, that's how entrepreneurs work, right? We're incentivized to go out, solve problems in the world, and we get rewarded for solving problems. We're not rewarded for being right. We're rewarded for solving problems a problem. And you got to be wrong a lot to figure that out. So really what, what it taught me as an engineer, Danny, is to, you know, learn how to make assumptions, learn how to question those assumptions as you solve, as you iterate, as you continue to try to get better. And that's really, whenever I look at an investment or talk to an operator or a partner, or, you know, even, even like where we are today in the economic environment say, okay, has, has something changed or do we just need to adjust our original assumptions and you know iterate and make sure that we're more robust on the other side? Yeah, and I think that's a great point. I would love to kind of just roll into that, right? So we know that there's some crazy stuff happening right now in the economy. Things are up and down. You know, interest rates have risen incredibly fast, and that's kind of uh, created some problems, especially in the market, especially for real estate investors, uh, depending on the assumptions they made, right? So let's dive into that. Can you talk to a little bit about the current state of the market, what you're seeing as somebody with boots on the ground? Yeah. So, I mean, look, you, you just said it. Rates have risen at a, at a rate faster, excuse me, than ever before in history. Okay. So, you know, if you make an assumption, say, hey, rates, rates may rise, but you may say, hey, rates aren't going to rise as quickly. What, what's going to happen is, you know, whether you've put um, pieces in place to protect your, yourself against that, or whether you have not, you're going to be damaged. You're going to be hurt by that typically. And, you know, that, that's the challenge, right? So if something happens, if you make these assumptions, you have to say, okay, you know, you buy something like a rate cap, if you have floating rate debt, that's insurance. But, mm. you know, as anybody that has insurance, it's like, well, if you have a certain amount of insurance and you get hit multiple times in a row with something, you know, that like uh, that's um, uh, historically unprecedented, like let's say you get hit with, you know, like New Orleans has just got bombarded with hurricanes, right? Mm. Like you can rebuild and rebuild and rebuild, but you're still going to be losing cash flow every time you go through that and your insurance rates are going to rise. So you, sometimes you can't avoid problems. You can't avoid issues. And that's the thing. Investors, you know, they say, Hey, you know, like our cash flow is going down because rates are rising. Right. Or, you know, we, we don't have any deals that pencil out because rates have ridden faster than our cap. We've seen cap rates adjust and people don't want to sell. Well, you can you can change all your assumptions, but that doesn't change the current reality. Mm. So you have to make sure you have a robust business. And you know, like we said, you know, people are like, well, why do you why do you have these other businesses or other types of asset classes you invest in? And the reason is, well, we we do this so we have the ability to pivot during challenging times. And if you were a, a B class value add investor and 
you know, you benefited from going from six caps to four caps over the past, you know, five years. Well, you know, those cap rates have, have either stalled or have, have gone back up and that model is not going to work very well if you're buying at a four cap and you're going to a six cap. So you have to say, okay, what are, what are we going to do in that sort of scenario? We can talk about some of the things that, you know, we've done as operators. Um, but again, you have to, you have to be prepared and that's why it's good to diversify and not have all your eggs necessarily in one basket. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? Being diversified, especially when, you know, you have these economic, these difficult times, right? Like we're experiencing right now, especially if, you know, we're in one sector, right? So let's dive into that. Let's keep rolling yeah. with what you're saying. What are some of the some of the risk yeah. mitigating techniques you've put into place? How are you guys positioning yourselves yeah. considering what's going on in the economy right now? Yeah, so first thing, I think going back to kind of fundamentals, you know, it's important to buy. Um, and if, if, again, if you want to get a copy of my book, it's at nextlevelincome.com. Click on the book link. I'll even send you a free copy if you put your address in. But if you read the book, you're going to see that I talk about value add multifamily. Okay. And I call it the Holy Grail, but really it's about value add. And it's about the principles behind that. And the principles are kind of like what Warren Buffett, Benjamin Graham talked about in the, okay. um, the intelligent um, investor. Is that right? Intelligent yeah. investor. I think it was. Um, so you know, we buy cash flowing assets. We put, you know, um, you know, appropriate long-term debt. So typically say, you know, 70-ish percent. We have assets with 50% loan to value and assets with 75% loan to value. But typically, you know, something that's reasonable. And then we have, you know, we have enough operating reserves to, to push through, you know, challenging times. Well, if, if we hold all those things in place and we look at the deals today, there are just not a lot of deals that make sense for us right now, mm. especially when you're only getting, say, 50% loan to value. The, the numbers don't make sense. So what are you going to do? Do bad deals? No, you just say, okay, we're not going to do those deals in, in terms of that. So we're, you know, we're taking the deals that we currently have. You know, we're making sure that we maintain those operating reserves. Um, if, we, if we did have fl floating rate debt, we had rate caps on those. Um, if we have the option, we're putting long-term debt on, on the properties that are out there where we're lowering the loan to value, increasing, um, our equity, uh, that we have in those properties, but that's going to necessarily lower returns. So you just have to be, um, you know, cognizant of those things. Um, also we're, we're focusing more on more operating types of real estate. So things like car washes, like we were mentioning that have, you know, higher cash flows, they, they're higher from an operational, um, uh, energy level. So you have to have more, more teams that are that are involved with those, but you know we just pivot and we focus more on those types of asset classes uh, during this time. Um, and we again we we kind of we try to be patient. We don't want to do deals just to do a deal. Um, and then the other thing we're looking into are some sort uh, some creative type solutions like tax abatement deals where we can raise our cash flows today and you're taking a property that maybe have been a four and a half cap and now it's say a six and a half cap. And that deal works in today's environment. And it's also solving a huge problem that we have in the country today, which is the affordability issue. So, you know, that's those programs are things that have taken a couple of years to put into place. And we didn't need to do those two years ago, but now that we have the structure in place today, we can pull that lever. We can pull the trigger on those deals. And now we have deals that still make sense today. Whereas some of those other deals, you know, the way we were doing them, like say a, um, a newer construction, you know, lease up deal that worked when rents were rising 20% a year for a couple of <laughs> years in a row, you know, when they're flat or raising, you know, a few percentage points as they have historically, which is still good. Um, those, those deals might not work very well right now. 
Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you talked about a lot of great points in there that I definitely want to hit on. Right. And so uh, I definitely want to talk about the car washer because I think that's very interesting. But before we do that, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the tax abatement stuff and then also multifamily. So, you know, you you mentioned the tax abatement stuff and that's definitely an opportunity, right? Where else are you seeing do you think the opportunity will be with multifamily going forward? Because, you know, I think that's obviously like we talked about before, it's a huge wealth building tool, multifamily. And I think it's really just yes. foundationally a great way to build yeah. wealth. Where do you think the opportunity will be uh, other than tax abatements and stuff like that for multifamily yeah. going forward? Yeah. So I think again, we, you know, if you look at 2021, we had say five years of appreciation compressed into like one year, yeah. right? You know, so if you see, you know, historic cap rate compression, historic, um, you know, vacancy or occupancy rates. If you see historic um, uh, appreciation or, or rent growth increases, you know, all of those things rolled into 2021. It, it was it was phenomenal. So if you look at over a five year period, you know, you can still say, hey, we're, we're happy with that. But there's a bit of a lag to getting back to, um, you know, deals that make sense. So I think, um you know, deals that are going to make sense. I think this year we have to be, again, we have to be patient because we have a lot of product coming online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, operators that have gotten a little too extended, there's going to be opportunities to partner with those operators or maybe buy some deals that are in distress. Um, but again, you got you to say, okay, when is the time going to come for those? Um, again, these, these private public partnerships, like we have with uh, Houston housing authority, for instance, where we're going in and, you know, let's say our operating expenses uh, compromise about 50% of the revenue in a property. Wow. Well, if we can recoup 15% of that through a tax abatement deal, with the city, that's a massive increase Huge. in our profit margins. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's something, um, again, that I think is an opportunity. And then if you look at where we are today and where we need to get over the next 10 years, we still need over 4 million units in this, in this, um, country. So I, I love build to rent. I think those, you know, those are mm-hmm. great opportunities that are out there. Um, but again, you have to say, well, okay, how are you going to take advantage, um, of those? Are you going to, are you going to um, build those? Are you going to buy those? Um, you just have to you have to be cognizant. So I think kind of summarizing, the demographics are strong, Danny. Um, you need to uh, be patient this year and and not jump on anything. Look for potentially distressed deals or distressed operators that are out there. Look for cities and areas that are getting creative with respect to the affordability option that are offering partnerships. Um, that are profitable. And then look at the areas that are that are outperforming um, where maybe there isn't a ton of supply. Uh, again, like build to rent, like single family homes for rent, like, um, uh, you know, these kind of like townhouse communities, which we're big fans of as well. Yep. I think you make a, a lot of great points there about areas, about demographics and all of that kind of stuff, right? So before we dive into car washers again, because I, I definitely want to touch on that, but tell us a little bit more about some of the markets you're really liking right now. Obviously, demographics play a big part, you know, what you're looking at. What are one or two markets that you're re- really bullish on right now going forward in, in your portfolio? Yeah. So if you look at the that that gap in units that I mentioned, you know, there's really three states that, that comprise the bulk of those uh, units that need to be fulfilled. California, which I'm not a huge fan of for multiple sure. reasons. Um, Texas and Florida. So I think Texas and Florida are, are great markets. Uh, the Carolinas, so North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. Um, if you look at the fastest grow- top 10 fastest growing markets, um, most, of those, most of those markets are in Texas, Florida, and Tennessee. 
um, here recently. The Carolinas uh, have grown very rapidly. They have great business environments. So I think from a top-down perspective, if you're listening, you want to look for business-friendly states. You want to look for net migration and growth, which you know I've talked about multiple times on podcasts. I've had on my blog. You just look where people are moving mm. and see that they're growing faster than, than average. And then you also want to say, okay, where are there areas where not only do you have faster than um, uh, average population growth, but you also have say like affordability gap. So you want to invest in areas where it, it's more affordable to rent because that is one of the real bright spots that I think a lot of people miss, even though, you know, we've had, you know, some challenges with respect to underwriting multifamily deals. There is a gap today that historically is larger than it's ever been. And that's the gap between buying and renting. And it's more affordable now to rent than ever before. So, you know, just focus on those markets and make sure you're not buying in a market where it's it's affordable to buy because, you know, we're looking for tailwinds here. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a huge point that I don't hear about really enough, uh, especially in our conversations, right? About that affordability gap. Um, I love yeah. that point, man. So I really appreciate you pointing that out. All right. So let's dive into yeah. it. Car washes. Tell us, tell us more about car washes. Yeah. Why, why car washes yeah. this is the first time we've talked about it on the show. Give yeah. us some details. Yeah, I'm going to give you a quick primer here if you're listening cool. today. So yeah. there's three main types of car washes that are out there. There's in-bay automatics, which I own um, one of those here locally in Asheville, North Carolina, where we have two bays. And think of it like a little robot where you pull your car in, that robot rolls around your car and washes it. You have uh, self-service where that's you know where you can go in and you basically put coins into a machine and mm. you wash your own car. Um, and then you have express tunnel car washes, which I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, okay, that's what you call those things that have a membership <laughs> and it pulls my car. Of course, you can pay somebody to detail your car, right? Sure. Um, but we love the express tunnel model from a scalable model for, for a few different reasons. Um, one, it's going to take about 15 years to fully build out this space, okay? So we think there's a real window right now over the next five years to acquire these. Private equity want to buy these express tunnel washes. If you look at the average ownership, now this is interesting. So multifamily is typically owned 85, about 85% by institutions, large operators. Whereas in car washes, that proportion is inverse. Only about 15% own more than four locations. You can buy the, these locations from mom and pop operators at about an 8X multiple of EBITDA. Whereas private equity groups, larger operators will buy a large portfolio, 50, 100, 150, 200 wash locations for a 12 to 20 X multiple. Wow. So even though we're buying these and getting great cash flow from day one, we can sell them and make a great premium uh, when we sell them, but we need to accumulate them. We need to operate them. We need to aggregate them before that 15 year window gets, gets out. Right. Cause people aren't going to want to buy them 15 years from now. They're going to want to own and operate them and profit from them. Um, so that's something also there's, you know, it's really important, real basic stuff. I love basic businesses that are predictable. Um, so if you, if you ask your average car wash member that comes through one of these express tunnel washes, and this is one where you park your car on a conveyor belt and it pulls you through the tunnel as each, each station inside the tunnel washes your car over the course of say three to five minutes, the top three don't include quality. So people want predictability, they want value, they want a good experience. You know, it's like, think about going to Chick-fil-A, okay? And we like to say, we want to be the Chick-fil-A of car washes. And here's why. I can go around the corner to my favorite place in Asheville to get a chicken sandwich, okay? Great fried chicken sandwich. It's got like pimento cheese. It's a little spicy. It's like $15, Danny. Well, if I walk in there, it's going to take me at a minimum 30 minutes to eat, 
right? If I take my son and get a, maybe I get a drink of its dinner, you know, a beer or cocktail, he gets a drink. I'm walking out of there at 75, 80 bucks. Okay. And I've been yeah. there for an hour. I can go to Chick-fil-A and I can spend 20 bucks and I can get a sandwich that's pretty darn good. Mm. I could be in and out of there in five minutes and I got my chicken sandwich, you know, so it's very similar, right? I can pay somebody yeah. two or $300 to detail my car. Or can I run my car through the local wash here, you know, in three to five minutes and get 80% of the quality of that wash and have a good experience, right? That's predictable. Like I'm going to do that more. And, and that's what, that's what we're looking to do in this space. So if we can buy these washes, we can standardize them. You know, people, you, you're smiling when you come out because the staff is nice. They're well-dressed, you know, the machines run well. You know, it's that's that's the Chick-fil-A experience that we're looking to replicate. Um, and what we're trying to do is bring investors in alongside of us so they can benefit from the same things that we've seen in multifamily, which is, you know, really strong cash flow, you know, good upside um, when it comes to the exit over the next three to five years. And then we also see you know great tax advantages when it comes to these as well, because there's a lot of depreciable equipment. So I know a lot of savvy investors appreciate the depreciation when it comes to real estate plays. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this, again, this being kind of like, you know, one of the first conversations I've really had uh, about car washes, it's it's very interesting, right? And I, I love this model. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have to get you back on the show again, so we can just have an episode strictly on car wash stuff. So we can just let's dive, do it. Let's yeah. dive into that. But so you guys are you guys are looking to pursue uh, to pick up more of these car washes in the future, correct? Yeah, we have about two dozen locations currently, and just just talked to my director of operations here this morning. Um, he's touring a portfolio. We have another portfolio with LOI underneath um, on it. So we have, you know, probably ten times the opportunities in terms of locations in the car wash space as we do in multifamily right now. Um, so it's a yeah, it's definitely a good time to be looking at these. As I mentioned before, I think we're kind of right at the forefront of this uh, so-called gold rush um, into this space. Love it, man. Yeah, we're gonna we're definitely gonna have to bring you on so we can just dive deep into this, talk about the pros and cons. Uh, yeah, but be happy to. Got to be respectful of your time here, man. So before we get out of here, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you, your business, and your book. Tell us more about your book as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, please go to nextlevelincome.com. We founded the site to provide education. Uh, for investors that are looking to achieve financial independence. Obviously, we have opportunities as well as we've been discussing. So if you want to learn more about how to get a free copy of our book, you can listen and subscribe to our podcast on the website. Um, and you can also learn more about our investment opportunities by clicking on the invest link. And last but not least, we also have a new course that's out as well. And you can get um, a, uh, a $500 discount on that course by going to the website as well and just clicking on resources and go drop down to the course menu there. Awesome. Yeah. To all the listeners out there, go check out Chris's stuff. Awesome stuff. I've been on his website. I've looked at his podcast. Great stuff. I, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm looking to get into it and check that out, man. So Chris, thanks again for coming on the show, man. It's been great. Danny, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.